We enter into the first Sunday of Advent. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. For me, it's great just to have a couple of days off. And I know when the kids get married, those times when they come home and you have everybody together are precious. Fewer and further between and precious. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, it is the first Sunday of Advent as we enter into a season of preparation, and that's uh, Christmas celebrates a long promise, a very long promise, a revelation of God in Christ, through whom the whole creation might be saved, all the nations might come to know Him and His salvation. And so Advent is this season of preparation, of anticipation, of expectation, of longing, waiting. Our hearts are slow to remember. Morgan preached last week and talked about the remembering and how Israelites piled up a Stack of stones, one for each of the twelve tribes on the banks of the Jordan. If stones of remembrance is a pile that as our children would look at it, they would ask, you know, why is this pile here to help us to remember the good things that God has done? For me, that is why we pile up a handful of Sundays in December as stones of remembrance, Sundays of remembrance to prepare ourselves and to remember what God has done at Christmas. I don't know about you, but this is a Difficult season to uh, remember when it's so busy, when it's so full, when it's so sparkly, when it's so glittery, when it's so crowded. We live in a culture that loves our Christmas, but has rejected our Christ. It's easy to walk through the season, uh, and it'd be all about a Christmas that has very little Christ in it. Christmas is not only about the fulfillment of prophecy, it is a supreme example of God's faithfulness to his promises and the fulfillment of his promises and so the birth of this baby in a barn in a backwater town in a tiny conquered country at the very dawn of the Roman Empire was the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams not only of Israel but of the whole world whether the whole world knew it or not. Because the promises that came to Israel would be a vehicle for the blessing of the whole world. And to see that, though, we'd have to dig deep into the Old Testament and see how the Bible weaves these things together into one story. One story of grace, one covenant of grace, one set of promises to redeem and to save. To find the full meaning of Christmas, you've got to start in Genesis. You could start in Genesis 1. You could spend time in Genesis 3 in the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And we're going to talk about that seed here in a minute as that promise comes to Abraham. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Hear then the word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we gather this Sunday and begin a season of preparation and anticipation, of celebration of the great gift 
the great fulfillment of promise, the great giving that you have given. Father, we pray that you would come near and that you would set our hearts and our minds on fire with the truth of what you have done and that we would enter into this anticipation not only of the celebration of this Christmas but the full consummation of your kingdom that is coming. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As most of you know, Genesis 1 to 11 covers almost 2,000 years. Right, The first 11 chapters leading up to verse 1 that we just read in chapter 12, those 11 chapters cover 2,000 years of world history. There are, there are more chapters dedicated now to the life of Abraham than there are to the previous 2,000 years. As you're reading through the book of Genesis, you, you, you start with the creation of the cosmos, the first man and the first woman, their fall from grace and the entering of sin into the, into the human experience, the rise of civilization, the increase of evil, and so the flood and the judgment and the Tower of Babel and the rise of pride, the scattering of humankind. You're traveling at about 100 miles an hour. And then you reach chapter 12. And all of a sudden you slam on the brakes. Right? You shift, you downshift into, into first gear. And you, you slow down and telescope into the life of Abraham and into a set of promises. And it's really in Abraham's life as you read the New Testament, there's nobody referenced in the New Testament like Abraham. No Old Testament personage referenced, referred to, used as illustration like Abraham, the receiver of promises. Abraham was chosen by God to be the recipient of some of the most precious promises in the Bible. And most of us know this story. This is a very familiar story of Abraham's call and the promises that are given. Even our children would know this. We do enough of our Sunday school structured so they, should, they would know Abraham and what it means to be a son of Abraham and the story of his calling from the land of Ur and the Chaldees with his father and they go to Haran and then God comes to Abraham in Aram after his father passes and he calls him to leave there. It's a familiar call. It's verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house and you're going to go to a land that I'm going to show you. It's so familiar to so many of us this Going from country, kindred, and father's house. Leave your kith and kin. Leave everything that's familiar. Leave your home. And I'm going to take you somewhere new. And we're going to start something new. We're going to establish a, a kingdom and a people. And, uh, and based on a set of promises. Go to the land that I will show you. And so verses 2 and 3. Familiar promises as he goes on. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then I'm going to bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you. I'm going to curse and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Right? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out blessing on you. Right? I'm, going to do, I'm going to make your name great and I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you a kingdom and, and I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. Right? I'm going to pour out blessing on you. I'm going to do it so that you will be a blessing. In fact, not just a blessing to a few or to those around you, but so that you will be a blessing 
to all of the nations of the earth. In other words, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be this, this vehicle through which I'm going to start with you and I'm going to pour this blessing into you so that the entire earth at some point is going to, is going to benefit from the promises given to Abraham on this day thousands and thousands of years ago. The promise is repeated. This is a core promise. It's repeated in Old and New Testament. You can follow it through the Old Testament, through the, through the prophets and the Psalms that sing it, and you can follow it into the New where it's quoted, and we'll look at that in a moment. But it's repeated throughout. In Genesis 26, 4, it's there in your bulletin, under the first point. He repeats it later in his life. He says, I'm going to multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Other passages it says, as the sand of the sea. It's a way of saying, I'm going to make your nation great. There are going to be a lot of you. All right, as stars of the heaven. And I'm going to give to your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring, the word there is seed. In your seed, in your offspring, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Christopher Wright, it's also there in your bulletin. He says, God sees an elderly, childless couple in the land of Babel, right? In Babylon. That's where Ur of the Chaldees is what becomes later Babylon, which is interesting, the very place it conquers Israel, takes it into exile. In the land of the Chaldees, in the land of Babel, and he decides to make them the fountainhead, the launch pad of his whole mission of cosmic redemption. The call of Abraham is the beginning of God's answer to the evil of the human heart, the strife of the nations, the groaning brokenness of his whole creation. A new world, ultimately a new creation, begins in this text, in this promise of what God is going to do. From the very beginning, God clearly expresses his world-wise cosmic purposes. That even as he blesses Abraham, he says, I'm doing it for a purpose. You're a means to an end. You're not an end in yourself. Your people aren't an end in themselves. This land isn't an end in itself. I will bless you in all of these ways so that that blessing can flow through you to all of the nations of the earth. The central promise of the whole Bible is followed by the prophets, the salvation of the world, through the blessing of Abraham. We see in Isaiah chapter 49, it's here in your bulletin, 49 verse 6. In Isaiah, there's a series of what they call servant songs. You know, the songs about, in a sense, a mysterious servant. There's a lot of debate about who the servant is. Many of us who sit in a conservative evangelical stream would say, duh, <laughs> it's Jesus. You know, one of the songs is my servant, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, the one who would bear the sin of the nation, who would be crushed for our iniquities. And, you know, there are five of these, including the Isaiah 53 passage. But in 49, it says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel, a remnant of Israel, those who have not fallen away, you will bring back the preserved of Israel and I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Right? The prophets pick it up and God speaks through the prophet carrying forward the expectation of this 
promise, the salvation of the ends of the earth. And a servant will come, a seed will come, an offspring will come in the line of Abraham. And it's, it's too little a thing for you to just save Israel. It's too little of a thing for you to just bring back the preserved and remnant of Israel. No, I'm going to make you a light to the nation so that my salvation will go to the very ends of the earth. This is the promise to Abraham followed through the nation, picked up by the prophets. And when does God's global intention to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, come to its fulfillment. The birth of a baby in a barn, in a backwater town of a tiny conquered country at the dawn of the Roman Empire. Jesus Christ is born. Seed of Abraham, the servant through whom the nations would be blessed and salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. In Genesis 26 that we just read, Under the first point, he says, in your seed, in your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. And the New Testament picks up that seed. Or Genesis 3 says, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. That seed of the woman becomes the seed of Abraham. And in your offspring, in your seed, all the nations will be blessed. The New Testament picks that up. It's the same word that Mary uses when she sings the Magnificat. Right? And this is the story of Christmas. And you remember when Mary and Elizabeth both get pregnant at the same time. You know, and they're cousins. And Mary goes to visit her cousin. You know, and Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth's full of the Holy Spirit. Says a baby in her womb is full of the Holy Spirit. He leaps for joy at her, at her coming. And Elizabeth says, blessed are you. Mary among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so she speaks this prophetic blessing on Mary as she shows up. And Mary responds by singing a song of praise. We call it the Magnificat. Right? And Mary responding to this blessing of her, the, the fruit of her womb, the seed, by Elizabeth, her cousin. And she sings this song. And Sarah, in your bulletin under the second point, Luke 1, she says, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God who is my Savior. From now on, all the generations are going to call me blessed. Why? Because he has helped his servant Israel, the nation, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, even to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Right, Mary singing in response as the fruit of her womb has been blessed. And what is going on here? As Mary and Elizabeth are both pregnant with, with significant pregnancies. Elizabeth bearing you know, the Elijah who would go before the Messiah. Mary bearing this seed. And as she tries to celebrate and to sing and to put into words and to articulate what is God doing? What is happening in my life? This miraculous pregnancy. She she has not been with a man. She is pregnant. God has shown up to her through angels to speak into her life saying, I'm doing something marvelous. And as Mary understands it and she sings this song, she says this, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Right? What he spoke to our fathers, he's doing now in my womb. After literally 2,000 years, from Abraham to Mary, after thousands of years, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years to the Lord. It's not as if the Lord is slow in keeping his promises. You know, in, in other words, these things, it's been 2,000 years, but for the Lord, it's like, hey, two days. You know, two days later, he fulfills his promise for us. <clears throat> so it's 2,000 years since Jesus has been here. 
in his first advent. And some of us think, well, it's been a long time. I wonder what, you know, it's like a day or two. A couple days later, Jesus comes back, maybe three. I don't know. Literally 2,000 years later, God chooses to fulfill the Abrahamic promise through Mary. Her seed, her child, the promise to Abraham. When Paul is explaining who Jesus is, and he's trying to articulate to the Galatian church in Galatia, it's up in Asia Minor, it's not a particularly Palestinian or Jewish place, and he's trying to explain you know, who Jesus is and what he has done, he goes to Old Testament. He goes to this very promise of Abraham. It's there next in your bulletin under Galatians 6. He says, and now to the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring, his seed. Right there, the seed again, the seed of the woman who's the seed of Abraham, who is the seed that Mary sings about, is the seed that, that now that Paul comes and refers to, the seed that was promised to Abraham. Now, he does not say to offsprings. In other words, it wasn't a plural. It's not a plural offspring, so it's not speaking of the nation. You know, you might think that, that the nation is the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham and his offspring, to the nation of Israel, to all those Israelites that, that, you know, that are like the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky. But Paul says, no, 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 no. He doesn't say to offsprings. It's not plural. It's singular. And so Paul explaining how this goes down. It doesn't say, it refers not to many, but to one, to your offspring who is he says Christ the promise to Abraham was a promise of Messiah a singular offspring of Abraham who would come and the word Christ and Messiah you need to if you don't already know the 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 the, the word Christ is not a name it's not Jesus's name per se it's his title Christ it's Jesus the Christ it is nothing but the Greek equivalent to the word Messiah So it is Jesus the Messiah. That's his title. That's who he is. He's not just Jesus. He's not just any old guy or Jesus, son of Joseph. He is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the coming seed. Paul explains that this promise, this word offspring is not plural, it's singular. And so it's not ultimately about a nation. It's about one man. God was saying to Abraham that someday one man, One of your children, one of your offspring would be the Messiah. One who will bring back the preserved of Israel that my salvation may reach to the very ends of the earth. Psalmist sang about it, Psalm 22, 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Right, the day is coming for the blessing of the nations. And so as we think about Christmas, and this is the way we have to think of it, it's a very long promise where for thousands of years God has said, the day is coming for the salvation of the nations and the ends of the earth, where God would visit, where God would come. And then the seed of the woman would set us free. And so Genesis 12.3 is a promise of Christmas. Paul specifically says, interestingly as he does, he quotes the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, chapter 12, verse 3, and says, this is about Jesus. This is why Jesus, when he talks on the road to the Emmaus, can say, these are the scriptures that speak of me. Right? And he started with Genesis, and he began to show them all that the scriptures said about him from the very opening pages of the Scripture. 
And so as Mary stood 2,000 years after the promise, as we stand 2,000 years after the fulfillment as it's come in the life of Mary and the birth of this baby, and as we wait for the final consummation, because we know the first coming Jesus promised He would come again, that He comes once to save and to bear sin. He comes once in humility as a Savior to offer Himself on the cross for the sins of the world. He says, and I will come again, and that time it will not be in humility. The day is coming, He says, when I will return in power. And I will return to bring all things to their ultimate and final conclusion. I will come and bring all things under my Lordship. And so Advent is about remembering. But it's also about preparation and waiting. As we gather as families over these next few weeks and as we decorate our houses and put up lights and trees and gather presents and gather family and prepare foods and as we do we, we are anticipating a feast, the fulfillment of promise. But not only this promise, not only that the baby was born, but that the baby will come again. The man, Jesus, will come again. Christmas is the story of the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. It's the story of the whole Bible, from the promise to Eve and Adam that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head to his final, as you read in Revelation, it it describes the fulfillment of these things, right? It describes how, how it has happened and what it looks like in its ultimate consummation in heaven, the promised seed, the Messiah. So it's the story of the whole Bible. So in Galatians 3, chapter 8, as we come into the New Testament, that God, even in the announcement of the gospel of the New Testament, is, is the same promise. In Galatians 3, chapter 8, you see it there. He says, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Saying what? How did he, what did the gospel sound like in Abraham's ears? When the gospel, knowing God, knowing that his purpose was to bless and save the nations, and the gospel that is, is in Christ that goes to the ends of the earth, when he preaches that gospel to Abraham, what does it sound like? In you shall all the nations be blessed through your seed. This is the gospel. In you shall all the nations be blessed that the child of Abraham would become the savior of the world and Jew and Gentile alike through faith in him would become the people of God. So from Genesis to Revelation, if you read, it's there in your bulletin under the last point, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. When all things are fulfilled, the world as we know it is coming to an end. When things in heaven reach a crescendo and they sing a new song and the new song is, worthy are you to take up the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Right, The fulfillment of Genesis 12. This is, this is the celebration of what he does. You have gathered men through the shedding of your blood. He says you have gathered men and women from every nation on the planet and you have made them a kingdom. 
that the, that, the, that the calling of Abraham and the creation of Israel was not an end in itself. It was, a, it was a seed, just like the seed that would come, that would grow into this vast thing, so that when it's celebrated in the end, it is celebrated that he has redeemed a world, that he has called the nations to himself. Christ is worthy because he took on flesh and bone so that he could bleed and die, and by the shedding of his blood, ransom a people for God from every nation and every tongue, a global people born of faith. And so because Christmas, because of Christmas, all of us can share in the hope of Israel. In other words, Jesus, even as Paul is writing to Galatians, right? he's writing to Gentiles and telling them, you share in this promise. You are heirs of this promise through faith in Christ. Right, that all of us share in this promise. This is a promise that we are the fulfillment of. There are very few of us who in here would, would know yourself to be an ethnic Israelite. Right? We are the nations that the gospel went out to. We are the recipients of the blessing that flowed through the seed that was the offspring of Abraham. To be Christian means to see yourself as a part of this worldwide family, a part of this family of Abraham. And so Galatians 3, 7 to 9, it's there in your last point in your bulletin. Paul, as he's continuing to explain these things, he says, Know then that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham, who are the seed of Abraham, the children of Abraham. The true children of Abraham, he says, are those who have faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you, all the nations, will be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, right? The blessing of Abraham belongs to the people of faith, right? Belongs to you and I. That blessing has flowed through to us. We have joined the ranks of the ransomed people of God who will be sung about in Revelation Children of God by faith, heirs of eternal life, heirs of the blessing of Abraham, his children, And the story then becomes your story. It becomes our story. We enter into something. It's not not the length of your life. It's not the length of your Christian life. It's not the length of even the, the New Testament story. It's the length from Genesis 12. We enter into that story. We're we're we are of that host of redeemed that sing the song of of the seed who was worthy to open the scroll because he was took on flesh and bone so he could bleed and die and redeem the nations for God. All of us this morning are blessed with the blessing of Abraham in order that we might be a blessing. Right? God intends to make his blessing flow so as we enter in this Christmas season where I said we live in a culture that loves our Christmas but rejects our Christ. Right? And so they celebrate the Christmas And there's all kinds of glitter, but it's a hollow. There's an emptiness sometimes to it as we wander the stores and the tinsel and wonder where it went. But as we enter this season, we remember that we are a people who have been blessed to be a blessing. As Abraham was blessed to be a blessing and as Christ calls us to himself, as we enter this season, I hope that we would enter it as that redeemed people purchased with the blood, foreknown from before the foundations of the world, promised to Abraham, sung by the psalmist, talked of of the prophets, 
sung about by Mary, explained by Paul, redeemed in his blood. We are that people who enter in as a blessed people. And he says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. And so that this gospel preached to Abraham is now on our lips. That in this season where where Christ gets lost, that we are those who speak his name, that we are those who point to him, that we are those who truly celebrate the birth and worship the son who is born, that in all that we do, there is a depth and a meaning. I remember, I remember I celebrated Christmas many, many years before I came to Christ. And I remember the very first year that I sang those Christmas hymns. I, you know, I heard them, we put them on, or you hear them on the radio. I didn't really go to church and sing them. But the very first Christmas that I was a believer, and I, I understood, and I sang those hymns, those carols, it was so different. It was so rich. It was worship. It was full of meaning and depth that God had fulfilled his promises in this, this one. And as we head into this season, let us be those who point the world to its Savior. To go tell it on the mountains and over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. That our lives would reflect his grace and his generosity, that his blessing and that his blessing would flow, that we would give and serve. There in your bulletin, Titus 2, he says this, that Jesus, the seed of Abraham, gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, who are zealous to give and to serve and to love and to sacrifice Right? And so let us infuse the season of, of Advent with the presence of Christ, the presence of this Redeemer who blesses that we may bless, that we would give and serve in love. The celebration of Christmas is more than receiving gifts. It's being a channel of blessing and of gifts to the world. Zealous with the gospel, zealous to love. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. So the question this morning is, have you seen it? As you enter in this Christmas, however many it was for you, I was 18 years old before I sang one of those hymns like I meant it. Before I sang one of those hymns with understanding and meaning, where that hymn was actually worship for me. Jesus Christ has come. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Have you seen it? Wherever you are in your life and in your walk and in the celebration of Christmas, have you seen it? Do you see and do you understand what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation, from the dawn of time until we sing those songs in the end? Today is a day of salvation. If you haven't trusted this Christ, if you haven't put your faith in Him, if you haven't called out to Him to be your Savior, that what He did, He did for you. Today is a day to do that. That the songs of Christmas that you sing this year would be rich and full of meaning and truth and power. Become a child of Abraham. Become a child of God. Trust in Jesus Christ. Do it today. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great and precious promises. We thank you for the way that you have loved, so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank you that through the ages, You are a promise keeper, a promise fulfiller.
God who is our Savior, a giver. So Father, I pray as we enter into this Christmas for those who have not yet come to know Christ, that you would be bringing this message home, that you have visited our planet in the person, the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ. And I pray, Father, for us who know you and who love you, that this would be a season where we labor hard to keep our hearts full of the wonder and the beauty and the power and the worship that should invest this season with depth and meaning. For we ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.